But today, we're going to honor our dads, and I want, to, I want to preach a message entitled, A Tale of Two Men. A Tale of Two Men. Joshua chapter 24, you know it well. I preach on this many times. I love the story of Joshua. Beginning verse 14 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. I love this. Serve the Lord. Sounds like something good to say, right? Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from us before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Like I said, happy Father's Day. I know today, again, there's not going to be any records set as far as phone calls made and cards and flowers. But you know what? It's a great day to be a dad. It's a great day to be a father. It's a great day to be a man. I read something a couple of weeks ago that uh, I thought was entertaining. It was 50 reasons why it is good to be a man. Now, I'm not going to give you 50 reasons why it's good to be a man, but I'll give you 10, okay? I've condensed it down to my 10. Number 10... You know stuff about tanks. Pretty cool, you know? Number nine, you can go to the bathroom without a support group. <laughs> Number eight, if someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. Number seven, you can drop by to see a friend without bringing a little gift. Number six, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. <laughs> Number five, one wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number four, there's always a game on somewhere. Oh, Todd. Number three, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with, so, notice anything different? <laughs> Number two, if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer or throw it across the room. That generally works. <laughs> and number one, number one, you can do your nails with a pocket knife. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Listen, there are some advantages to being a man. And, and so, guys, let's enjoy our day. Now, here's what I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to spend, isn't it interesting, like on Mother's Day? On Mother's Day, we come in and we lavish on moms, and rightly so, okay? We, we, we love our moms. Everybody's ever been born came from a mom. In spite of what pop, pop culture wants to teach you today, we all came from a mother, a female. But we lavish on them how much we love them and adore them and all this stuff. And then dads come along on Father's Day and we bash them. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to bash you today. This is not about bashing dads. Society's done a pretty good job of bashing men for the last 30 years. However, just so you don't feel guilty or left out, let me just say this. Dads, spend more time with your family. 
Don't be a spiritual wimp and be the head of your house. Now, that's out of the way. Let's get right down to it. This morning, I want to contrast two dads, two men. One was a spiritual powerhouse. The other was a wimp. One dad took a stand for righteousness, and the other man, dad, caved in to materialism. And I'm talking about the story of Joshua and of Achan, both found in the book of Joshua. Now, so this morning, let's start with Achan. Achan can be found, his story, in Joshua 7. So let's read about, we won't read it, but this is a, diff, I'll be honest with you, this is a difficult story to listen to. Because it's about a dad who, who made some tremendous mistakes that cost his family everything. Achan was, let me tell you a little bit about him, Achan was a young man that was born in the wilderness somewhere between Egypt and the promised land, okay? His parents had been part of the exodus, the original exodus that was led out of Egypt by Moses, but somewhere along the way, they perished in the wilderness, and if you remember, they perished in the wilderness for a very specific reason. They rebelled against God, and in that rebellion, God sentenced that entire generation to perish in the wilderness. And so, so Achan was born to fa a family, a parent, uh, to his parents that, that perished in the wilderness. He saw this. He also saw great miracles from God. He saw how God always provided. When they were thirsty, he provided water. When they were hungry, he sent manna, and then he sent quail. He always provided. When they needed protection, God was there. He led them by a pillar of cloud, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He saw these things. That was Achan. Achan was a married man, a young man, married with a family. He was part of the army that was sent by Joshua to conquer the enemies of Israel and of God. Now, here's what happened. After they crossed the Jordan River, the very first uh, stronghold they came against was Jericho. Anybody remember that story? Uh, so, so they came up against Jericho, this great walled city. I, I taught on this not long ago. We taught through the book of Joshua. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Jericho, God gave them instruction. So again, think about Achan as being part of that group. He's part of the army. They are now being uh, led into the promised land, this long dreamt of promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, and God leads them across the Jordan River, and he tells them when they get to Jer Jericho, the marching orders were this, walk around the city once a day with your mouth shut, and then on the sixth day, or the seventh day, you're to do it seven times, and on the seventh time around, you are to shout with the voice of triumph, and the trumpets were to sound. And the walls would fall down. Now, that's what we know about the story. But there was something else God told them. God said that they were to go into Jericho and completely wipe out the city. And they were to take all of the gold, all of the silver, all the bronze and other treasure. And they were to place it in the treasury of the Lord. God required the first fruits. Now, this is where we get, uh, again, reinforced part of the concept of the tithe setting aside a portion of our income to give to the work of the kingdom. Tithing. Sheila and I have been tithers for many, many years. Uh, I'll tell you, if you've never tried it, you need to. Put God to the test. It, you, you can never outgive God. But this was the principle. God had set, set aside Jericho, if you want to look at it in our, our viewpoint, as a tithe of the promised land. He said, you go into the city, you conquer it, you take... You, you wipe it out, you take all of the treasury that you find there, and then you are to put it in the treasury of the Lord, for it is, here's what he said, holy unto the Lord. 
It was a consecrated thing. What does consecrate mean? It means to set aside. It was set aside by God to be used as he deemed necessary. Okay, so that, that's kind of the story. So as they move into Jericho, Achan is part of that army, and he, see, he spots some treasure, and he decides to take some for himself. Now, he probably thought, well, who would miss it, right? I mean, who would miss a few pieces of silver, a gold bar, and maybe a, a, a new suit? I mean, who's, who's going to miss that among all the treasure that is in this, in this city? Who's going to miss just a little bit? And in his mind, he's thinking, I'll turn in some of it, and nobody will ever know. He was right, at least partially. Because if you read the story, when, they, when the walls came down, they, they defeated the city. The Bible says there was a great celebration. So while the entire nation is celebrating this wonderful victory over Jericho, Achan is in his tent digging a hole to hide the sacred thing, the forbidden thing. My question is this morning, as I contrast these two men, what would cause a man, a father, to knowingly violate God's word? What would cause him to do that? I mean, he knew what was required. I mean, he, again, it wasn't that he did not understand the rules. It wasn't that, listen, when I was in the military, when, when, when you received orders, you understood the orders. You understood the objective. You knew what the mission entailed and the parameters, the orders, the rules of engagement. He knew that. He wasn't ignorant of that. How many understand even uh, ignorance is no defense of the law, right? I, I remember when I worked for the city of Irving, we'd have, you know, I'd have to go enforce some health codes and things like that. And I can tell you many, many times people say, well, I didn't know that was against the rules. And, and you know, you think, well, just because you don't find out about it doesn't mean that that's an arguable defense. So he knew. I, I'm building this up because he knew. He knew what was required. He knew what the orders were. He knew what the mission objective was. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm sure this was not a premeditated sin. Again, we understand premeditation. Where uh, Here's what I don't think he did. I don't think for six days he walked around this city thinking in his mind, oh, I can't wait to get in there and take some loot for myself. I don't think he did that. I don't think he walked around on day one and thought, you know what? I'm going to get in there and take it. On the day two, day three, day... I don't think he did it at all. I think even on the seventh day as he walking around the seventh time and the trumpet sounds and the men begin to shout and the walls start tumbling down, I don't think he had one inkling of an idea that he was going to take that which was forbidden by God. He probably was just doing his duty as a soldier when, bam, there it was. He catches sight, more gold, more silver, than he'd ever seen in his life. No one was around, and no one would ever be the wiser. Here's, what I, here's my point. Isn't that the way it is, guys? Isn't that the way it happens? It always starts with a look. A look. And, and, and again, you think about it. It's, it's, it's a look. It's an unguarded, undisciplined look. And you know what? It, the Bible says we're not unaware of his devices or his schemes. It, it's always been like that. I mean, think about Eve. Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember what happened to her? It was an undisciplined look that look at the forbidden tree 
and it says it looked good. That's the way it happens, guys. Looking around, an undisciplined, unguarded look, a man suddenly notices another woman and desires to have her, even though she represents the forbidden thing. I told the early service, I said, one of the things that I noticed early on uh, with the advent of modern social media, I, I can stand here and tell you, I won't, but I can tell you names of people that I know personally that started making connections with flames from the past. And they went through terrible divorces to re reignite. I had lunch with a classmate of mine one time, many, many years ago when my dad was still living. I was there visiting him, and she lived across the street from me for years and years and years, and she needed some counsel and some advice. So she, she and I went out to lunch, and, and, and she had made the connection with an old high school fling and felt like it was a missed opportunity back there. And I said, yeah, but what you don't understand is that we tend to look back with rose-colored glasses and we embellish the good and we forget about the bad. There was a reason it didn't work in the first place and there was a reason it probably won't work this time. And, and, and again, that's the way it happens, guys. If we're not careful, it's just, one, it's just one look. We look at something that's forbidden and we desire it. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is we're not to covet. We're not to covet you know, our eyes get us into so much trouble today. You know, we, we, uh, we see a magazine, a movie, we uh, see a TV show, and, and, and then our minds begin to reason, who will ever know? Who will ever know? You see, the world today exalts uh, image over substance. We, have, we today, our society promotes comfort over character and indulgence over ethics. The world confuses net worth with self-worth. It values things over people. And so Aiken comes along and Aiken wants to be a high roller. He, again, he watched his parents. He didn't want to end up like his parents. Aiken wants to be a high roller. His spiritual life had waned. He was more interested in his image than in honoring God. And it's so easy, men, to rationalize our sin and disobedience. It's so easy to think that we will be the one that doesn't get caught, that the odds won't, that will not get caught in the statistics, that somehow we can do it. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. I don't have the same feelings anymore. Hogwash. You want a good feeling, go buy a Toyota. Otherwise, you make a commitment and you hang in there to that covenant. Amen? Remember, love is not the glue that holds a marriage together. It is commitment that does. Love is the reward of the commitment that you make to each other. I'm, listen, I, I, I would, I'm just being honest with you. There are times you want to kill each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there are times you want to just put, uh, you know, I'm sorry, a preacher shouldn't say that. There time, I mean, there are times you just, but you know what? You know, I was pastoring here. You, you know my story, and I'm not going to go into it. You know, in 1994, Sheila and I had the roughest year we've ever had in our 37 years of marriage. Had it not been for our relationship with God, we, I wouldn't be here today. Neither would she. It was a tough, tough year. I was pastoring here, had only been here just about a year. What got us through was that we committed to each other in the sight of God. You fast forward now, 37 years in September, and I love that woman 
as much as she grinds, no, I'm just kidding. No, she's not here. So she can't defend herself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I love that lady more than I can even put into words. And here's the thing. And you know, I, and I have to take care of her every single day of my life. What did that? I committed to her. She committed to me. And now love has blossomed as that, a result of that commitment. But what I'm saying, guys, is be very careful where your eyes go. You know, we used to sing a song when we were kids. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Again, Aiken, for Aiken, this was not premeditated. This was, a, this was simply some glitter caught his attention, and he thought, who will be the wiser? Do you know that one of the greatest sins of the church is right now? Pornography. Male and female, but particularly men. We have men in the pews that struggle with pornography at the same level as society or even greater. Again, I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm just simply saying that the, the, the sin of the church today is pornography, that we have people that are addicted. They say that pornography is the equivalent in your brain as heroin. What it releases in the brain, and, and it starts with a look, a glance, one that nobody will ever know. And now we can walk around with a device that we can pull up any type of filth that we want to any time of the day or night. Wherever we are, we can pull it up on our, our phones. It, for Aiken, it started with just a glance. Aiken had become so spiritually dry and cold that he failed to understand that you cannot make a mockery of God's word and not reap the consequences. Listen, mom, dad, both. We cannot thumb our nose at God and not reap the consequence. Achan needed revival, but instead of revival, he found a pit full of stones. Your sin, dads, will affect those around you, as this story points out. Listen, Achan was found out. And again, I don't have time. I taught about it in that Wednesday night class. God narrowed it down. You go back and read the story. It's fascinating how God brought it all down, this great massive people, nation of people, and God brings it down to one man, and how it happened is right after Jericho, they go to Ai, okay, which was an outpost. In fact, it was such an insignificant outpost that the generals came to Joshua and said, look, don't waste time by sending the whole army. Just send a, few, a couple thousand men. They can wipe it out pretty quickly. Joshua obliges, thinks that's a great idea, give everybody else a day off and the time to rest. He sends his, his uh, small force there. They are routed. They're routed by this outpost of Ai. And they're upset. Joshua's upset. And God reminds him there's sin in the camp. Guys, your sin will affect those around you. And when it, God narrowed that funnel down and it set on him, it was now time to pay the piper. Be sure your sins will find you out. So what happened to Achan? Well, because he willfully disobeyed God. He knew the consequences. I know for us, this really upsets our sensitivities today. We find it repulsive in our mixed up sensitivities. But listen, sin is a big deal. I know today we marginalize it, we minimize it, we explain it away and we rationalize it. But to God, holiness is very, very important. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. One of the, maybe one of the reasons that our churches go on without any supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit is because we are not holy people anymore. We've marginalized sin, we talk it away, we rationalize, 
doing the things we now, we now condone what God has condemned. God doesn't change. And yet Achan is being called upon now because he's guilty. They bring him, his family, and all of his possessions, and they put him in the middle of the camp. Why did you do this? I want you to understand the ramifications of disobedience. Achan chose to violate God's word. His family now suffers because of that decision. And I know this is maybe more than you want to take in today, but I want you to imagine as he, so, so the commandment was to stone him and his family and burn all his possessions. Again, that upsets and offends our sensitivities, but God's serious about sin. He wanted it eradicated. He wanted it cut out. And so I want you to picture Achan standing there with his wife and however many children he may have had. And that little boy or that daughter looking at him and wondering why, has no idea why the nation has turned against them. Has no idea why all of their belongings are now in a pile in the front of the camp. Has no idea why, why, why everybody's holding a stone in their hand about to execute them. Has no idea. My question is, Dad, would it be worth it then? Would it be worth it then? Can you, can you just imagine? And again, I, I don't, I don't, it's, it's, it's an upsetting story, but this dad chose to violate God's word. He willfully chose to sin against God. And as those stones come against their family, those little children looking up like, Dad, why? What I want to say, don't throw your family away for something insignificant. Don't choose treasure over character, trinkets. Don't have an aching heart. What's an aching heart? Well, an aching heart, number one, is a secular heart. It's a secular heart. He was proud. He was rebellious. He wasn't thinking of God's plans and purposes. How many times, Dad, do we just launch out, do something because we want to do it? We never stop to think, is this what God wants me to do? Is this best for my family? Listen, you don't make decisions in a vacuum. Your decisions it's like a puddle. It's like when, when Sheila had her stroke, they, it's like throwing a, a, a pebble in a pond. You have the initial splash and then the ripples. Your decisions are like throwing a pebble in a pond. You have an initial decision you make, but then the ripples ebb out. Don't have an aching heart. Don't have that secular heart that you only think of yourselves and you never think of God's plans and his purposes. Every one, every one of us here were created on purpose with purpose by God. Our job is to find it. Number two, uh, an aching heart is a secretive heart. It's a secretive heart. What does that mean? It means he tried to hide it. He tried to hide his sin from everyone, including God. How many know that's, not a, that's a lost cause right away, right there? The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. But, uh, furthermore, it says, all things are open and naked before him to whom we have to do. Everything. He knows. He knows. Number three, an Achan heart is a selfish heart. Achan had a selfish heart. He was only thinking about himself. He saw a bar of gold. He saw some trinkets. He saw an outfit. And he said, I got to have it. When God said, don't touch it. It's holy. It's consecrated. It's mine. Achan was selfish. He doesn't consider the ramifications of violating God's word. Listen, it's not a pretty story. 
That's what I'm saying. When you contrast these two dads, a tale of two dads, two men, it's not a happy story. It doesn't have a happy ending. It's a, it's a sad story. But my question to you guys this morning is what are you selling out your family for? What are those decisions that you make that your wife is unaware of that will come back one day to haunt? We have families today that are being destroyed simply because we think we can mock God and get away with it. Again, I, I know this is applicable to, to wives as well, but hear me, guys. I'm talking to you because God made you to be a man. He made you to be the head of the house, the spiritual authority of the home, and it's your job to protect that home. The answer is to have revival, not ruin. Keep your eyes where they need to be, guys, because for Achan, all it took was a look. Just one glance at the forbidden thing, and he was let off, and it destroyed his family. Every one of us here have stories of people we know that got hooked in just because they took a look. They look, see, our world preaches that. It says, how do, how do you know that you don't enjoy an extramarital affair unless you've had one, at least one? How do you know that you don't enjoy, you know, snorting cocaine or doing this or doing that unless you tried it at least once? I used to tell my kids, you know what? It's not worth it to even try. Not worth it to even try. Even, you never know if you're predisposed to becoming a lifelong addict. Don't even touch it. Keep your eyes focused. In contrast, that's Achan. Let's look at Joshua. I love our text, one of my favorites. Joshua's standing up there towards the end of his life and is about ready to pass on the baton of leadership. And so he gets all the nation together and he, and, and he gives a charge to Israel to wholly follow the Lord. Like a good leader, he warns of complacency and apathy. He warns about that. He challenges them. He said, choose whom you will serve. I like that. Thank God. Thank God for fathers today who will stand against the tide and stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank God for dads that do that today. In this world of confusion where we have men that dress like women and women that dress like men and we don't know what bathrooms to go into and there's confusion no matter where you turn, thank God for men who will stand up and say, we're going to keep preaching anyway. <laughs> thank God for dads that will keep on doing what is right. Amen. We need men today that will say there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. There are places that we will go and there are places that we will not go. There are people that we will associate with and people we will not associate with. Thank God for dads that will stand up. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank God for a dad that will stand up for truth and righteousness regardless of what pop culture says today. Thank God for men who will stand up and say that homosexuality is wrong and sex before marriage is wrong. Thank God for dads who will do things like that. You know what? It won't win you any brownie points, but it's the truth. Dads who are willing to say on Sundays and Wednesdays we're in church. I, I grew up that way. You know my story. I grew up in church. My dad wasn't a pastor. I've shared this with you many, many times. My dad wasn't a preacher. My grandfather was. But it skipped my dad. I was, he wasn't. I say that, but he preached to me every day of my life. And my dad only knew one sermon. Boy, Jesus is coming. You better be ready. When I rebelled, when I ran away from home when I was 17, 
When I, when I turned off everything that I, that, that I was taught to believe in and rebelled against every bit of it, you know the voice that I kept hearing over and over in my, in my spirit? It was my dad saying, boy, Jesus is coming. You better be ready. My dad was a great man. Died in 2012. I missed my Sunday phone calls with my father. But he's, he is why I am, a great reason why I am where I am today. Because he preached to me every day of my life. And we had this rule at my house. We were in church. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If I spent the night with somebody on Saturday night, my dad would be there on Sunday morning ready, expecting me to be ready to get in the car to go to church. No questions asked. Why? Because he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. See, unlike Achan, Joshua took his role as a priest of the home very seriously. Again, Joshua is speaking, again, as the leader of the home. He's speaking for the entire family. He doesn't, he doesn't cower down and, and say, well, you know, in my family, we let our kids decide what they want to do. Don't do that. Are you nuts? The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What are you doing? Don't leave them to their own devices. Don't leave them to the influence of Disney and Hollywood and all of these other things. Don't do that. The Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go. You take that responsibility. That's what my dad did. Even when I was not living for the Lord. You know what? I was in church almost every Sunday. I wasn't there, I wasn't there to praise Jesus. I wasn't there. I was there because I'd, I'd been taught that all my life and I didn't know any better. And I was in church. Dads, we need you. We need dads like that today. Joshua, didn't, he didn't abdicate his responsibility. Joshua wasn't leaving it for each man for himself. Again, this is where our culture today has so mixed, messed up things. Listen, don't take your advice from the view. Don't take your advice, advice from uh, Dr. Phil and Oprah and all those knotheads on television today. If you want to know how to raise a family, get in God's Word. He get, this is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It will lead you where you need to be. We got it so mixed up today. Joshua didn't drop his kids off the church and go on his merry way. He stood there with them. He stayed there. He took responsibility for discipline and discipleship of his children. I fear today, dads, that we have neutralized our witness to our children by inconsistent living. We say one thing, we do something different. Dads, I want to just remind you today, I'm bringing this in for a landing. The most important contribution you can make in your child's future is to lead them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. It's not the inheritance that you... I, I, I collect, uh, I, I collect petro, Petrolina, if you know anything about Petrolina. I love old oil cans from the 30s and 40s. I love... I've got a gas pump in my house um, from 1954. I've got some, uh, what do you call it, porcelain sign. I love that stuff. The artwork is just fascinating to me that they did it without computers, you know? And uh, I tell my kids all the time, i like, look, don't you, dare sell in, don't you dare throw anything in my house away because I'm spending your inheritance. <laughs> Listen, more, more important than passing on a monetary inheritance to your children or trinkets and toys Leaving your children the legacy of Jesus. 
that is greater than any sum. I promise you that if you will leave your children the legacy of Jesus, of loving him and serving him and serving his kingdom, how many know there's still things for us to do in the kingdom of God today? When they get to heaven, they'll look at you and they will thank you. What does that mean? It means, listen, it may, it may cost them some things. They may, I'll be honest with you, your children may lose out on some things here. But when they get to heaven, they won't care. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? I read somewhere that a boy loves his mother, but he will follow his father. Dads, where are we leading? Where are we leading? See, Joshua is not ashamed to say, family, we're serving the Lord. We are serving the Lord. Regardless of what our neighbors do, regardless of, my, my children used to say things like this, well, dad, their parents let them. My canned answer was, well, I'm not their parent. And you know what? They hated it. But it was the truth. I'm not their parent. I'm yours. When I stand before God, I'm not going to be accountable for what they did. I'll be accountable for what you did. And I viewed it as one opportunity for 18 years to get them to fall in love with Jesus. And if they fell in love with Jesus, then I feel like I've done a successful job of being a parent, that I passed on a legacy of faith. I'm not saying I don't want to pass on good things to my children. They got all of that petrolina, they can have it. <laughs> but more importantly, I want them to have Jesus in their heart. I'm going to wrap this up. Guys, come on back. I love how when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You, you can almost picture the togetherness there. He was, it was almost like, hey, dad said we're all going to church. You know what dads do, typically families do? If you look at the data that's out there, the influence of a father is greater than you can even imagine. That's why it's, dad's day is important. That's why celebrating fathers is important. Because our society today has now said dads are not important. Because we have, guy, we have women that can be guys, right? So dads really aren't that important. Listen to me, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That kind of nonsense today is destroying the very basic building block of society. And we need men today that will stand up and say, uh-uh, not on my watch. You look in Ezekiel, the Bible says God went looking for a man who would stand in the gap. This generation today is looking for men who will stand in the gap and say, you know what? I'm, as for me and my house, we're not caving in to this nonsensical junk that we have in society. We're, st we're standing on the solid rock. Just be, listen, just because we saw our child doesn't make us a father. Fatherhood denotes responsibility. That's what fatherhood is all about. So as I close this morning, dads, where do you see your family in five years? If the Lord tarries, are they going to be closer to the Lord? So one of the things during the summer that we wanted to do is like the, the we, we want to, we're going to be scheduling um, outreaches that will involve families. You know, my granddaughter helps with, with uh, food distribution during the summer. Absolutely loves it. Find something that you can work. My children, of course, they were PKs, preacher's kids. You know, so my kids grew up making hospital calls with dad. 
making, making, I had to go deliver some groceries for the sheriff's department yesterday, delivering groceries. They, they've done that. Went on missions trips, block parties, sidewalk Sunday schools. Those are things that my kids grew up experiencing. Again, partly because they're a PK, but also because I believe that we ought to be busy about the Father's business. Dad, don't abdicate your role. Where are you going to be five years? Will you be in church? Will you be teaching a class? Will you be leading a men's group? Will you be leading a women's group? Will your kids be involved in ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry? Where, where will they be? Make a plan. Get them involved. You see, the time right now, America desperately need men, needs men like Joshua who are not afraid to raise a standard of righteousness. As I close, let me challenge you not to become an Achan. Don't sell out your family. Don't be enticed by the trappings of the world. Listen, the carrots are going to get prettier and prettier. I promise you. But don't sell out. Don't sell out to the trappings of the world. Again, it may look good, and you might be able to rationalize a million reasons that nobody will ever know, and that you deserve it. But the wages of sin is death, and it affects those around you. Don't blow off your family. Be a Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God is looking for a few good men today that will say that very thing. We will serve the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Dads, there's a lot of there's a lot of responsibility, I understand. But God made us men, made us tough, gave us strength, strong shoulders, a tenacity about us for a reason. We need men that can plant their feet and say, I don't care what society does and says, we're not bowing. See, the three Hebrew, three Hebrew children said, we will not bend and we will not burn and will not bow. We're going to follow God. How about it? Dads, will you make that declaration today and say, you know what, I'm not doing that. Again, I thank God for godly men, the ones that have been in my life, the examples. You know, even right here in the church, I think of several right off the top of my head that just have blessed me in the last 30 years. You know, I think of, I could name so many of them. Brother Fields, who lived to be almost 102 years of age. We're driving to make a hospital call one day, and we're in Alvarado, and I get pulled over by the traffic cop because my foot got a little heavy on the gas. I'm sorry, I got a heavy foot. I need to lose weight. I understand. We're talking about the things of God, and this man that at that time was probably 85 years of age was investing in my life and just thinking about it I got happy my foot got heavy and I got pulled over <laughs> and I tell that officer I'm, I'm sorry I know I'm speeding I said but we started talking about the goodness of the Lord and I couldn't help myself I don't recommend you try to get out of a ticket I wasn't trying to get out of a ticket but he just looked at me and said all right preacher take your foot off the gas a little bit I can think of Wayne McCoy many many funerals that he and I did together and just the wisdom of that man 
so many others. Be a man of legacy. Be a man that your child will look at and say, you know, Dad, I want to be just like you. Not like the one in the cats in the cradle. We grew up to be absent. Be a there, Dad. Be an influence of righteousness. Be an example of living for Jesus. I'm going to close it like this this morning. And, you know, I really struggle with how to close the service out because I know it's specific to men, but it's applicable to everybody. But I'm just going to ask you, if you're, if you're a father here today, and maybe a grandfather, because listen, I, I have the joy of being a grandfather, and I love that. When Audrey was born, when she was a little girl, we used to have these posters on the walls of missionaries that we, missions regions around the world. And on Sunday mornings, I'd bring that little girl. She wasn't even a year old. I'd take that little girl in my arm and we'd walk down every one of these posters and I would, I'd put my hand on that poster and she'd put her little hand on that poster and I'd start praying for that nation. Grandpas and grandmas, you still have influence in your children and your grandchildren. So here's what I want to ask. If you're a father here today or grandfather and just maybe you're struggling today, maybe the world has changed so much told somebody I sometimes feel like a dinosaur because things are so different today but the one thing that's not changed is God I, I want to pray with you today I want us to pray if you're a dad here today you say pastor you know what I'm struggling right now in some areas of my life and I just need your body to pray for me would you come this morning I want them to sing would you sing that as they sing would you come and let us pray with you today Again, this is not to embarrass you. It's not saying that you're a bad dad or anything like that. Just if you're struggling today, say, you know what? I really could use some men to help me. Would you come? And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you. couple men if I could if you'll come and help me out over here Yeah.
say something this morning I know it's time to go but guys I'm not talking about perfection I'm not I'm not preaching perfection because there's none of us that are perfect what I am saying is do your best and when you blow it one of the things I learned pretty early on is when I made mistakes I owned up to them I sat down many times with my kids and said look I'm sorry I overreacted I blew it be willing to do that. The respect that your children will give you because you owned up to your mistakes is priceless. The ability to influence later because of your acknowledgement. Dads, we don't have all the answers. We don't know it all. We've not experienced it all. It is tough. It's tough today being a dad. Do your best. Surround yourself with godly men. Get in a good godly church and live life together and watch what God will do. If your family is struggling right now, I'm going to pray for it in closing right now. But your influence, we all saw Fireproof, right? A long time ago. We saw that movie, the influence that dad was able to make later on. If you'll stay at it, God will reward you. Father, today I pray for our families. I pray for our dads. I pray for single dads single parents fathers, grandfathers Lord the world has done a good job of trying to beat them down into submission to effeminate them but Lord you made them to be men to be strong and stout stoic masculine for a reason and Lord we're not to be ashamed of who you made us to be you did not make an oops or mistake when you made us male and a man Father, I pray today that we would embrace that manhood, that masculinity that you created us to be. I pray as a father that you have blessed us to be a father. Lord, regardless of the circumstances right now, I pray for our dads. Lord, as society is heaped upon them and heaped upon them, I pray that today they know that they are chosen by you to be a major force in the life of their family and those around them. So, Father, I pray that you uphold them with your powerful right hand and that you encourage them today. Lord, this is not a message about discouragement. It's one of encouragement today. Let us be encouraged that, Lord, just with a little alteration and a little trajectory of change in, our, in who we are, may we pursue you as Joshua did and say without compromise that we will serve the Lord. Lord, as we pursue you, 
I pray, God, that you begin to work that miracle in our home, that miracle in that marriage, that miracle in that parenthood relationship. Lord, work that miracle. Father, heal the family and heal the church so we can change our world. Father, I bless each parent here, each father in particular. As we walk out of here today, may we walk out to determined to be a Joshua in an Aiken world and choose to follow you. And we declare in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. God bless you, dads. I love you very much. Thank you for being with us online. I'll see you next time. So I will build my life upon your love. It is a